Here on Mother Love, we celebrate moms, their bravery, wisdom, and strength, their endurance and wit, dedication and sacrifice. We speak about the transformation in body, mind, and soul that is required on this sacred journey. We discuss what it takes to conceive, grow, birth, and welcome a baby into this big, wide, messy world. Mother Love is a safe space to witness each other in the darkest and brightest of moments. Mother Love is a place where you can let it all out and just be. A place to harvest your deep wisdom and spread hope to all the moms out there who still feel invisible. Welcome to Mother Love, where we love on mothers. We're so glad you're here. Sylvia, will you tell me your last name? I always make people do this. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is Malaga. Yeah, beautiful. Nice. Thank you. Um, and Sylvia is here with us um, to share some of her journey. Hello, listeners. I always want to say hello to our listeners and thanks for being here. Um, we're just going to kind of dive in. So Sylvia and I were just catching up a little bit. And where in the world are you? Sylvia. I am in Whitefish, Montana. Yeah. And can you give us a sense, like, I know that we were just talking about what a kind of wild world it is right now, but can you give us a sense of like what a sort of a snapshot of like a day in the life of Sylvia right now? Like, what is your favorite morning ritual? And what is it like to get your daughter going in her day? And just kind of give us a little glimpse into a day in the life. Totally. Um, actually, today was day three of um, calling my friend on Facebook at five o'clock in the morning. And we are starting to do this just to kind of hold ourselves accountable to get up and like have a, a morning ritual because oftentimes it's easy to hit that snooze button. Um, so we, you know, called each other. Um, I've been doing some bead work and we just kind of read each other really uplifting things and pull maybe like a tarot card or an affirmation card and um yeah just kind of chat and then uh, at seven I woke up my daughter and that's usually pretty tough she's so not a morning person and I have to get pretty creative in the ways that I wake her up um I try to be funny I think most of the time I'm I just annoy her but today I did get some laughs <laughs> yeah I mean to be fair anyone who's not a morning person like funny or not you're going to be annoying them because you're asking them to welcome to the conscious world and they don't want to be there and that's annoying so totally. I think it's it's <laughs> it's hard it's really funny because I have two little girls and one of them is like the ultimate morning person. Like I think if she could have like a morning talk show, she would really thrive. My oldest, and she's always been that way. And then my five-year-old Kendall is the opposite. And so it's it's very challenging at our house to balance those two energies. But I, when people say like, I had to wake up my daughter, I'm always like, what is that like? I've never in my whole entire life had to wake up my daughter or anyone because once she's up everyone is sort of forced to get up so um so yeah but so you try to be funny and you get her up and then you guys probably do breakfast and stuff 
we're, uh, she, you know, it takes her a while, always takes her longer to get up. So we're, breakfast is kind of a rush thing. Today, she did breakfast as she checked in with her classmates um, with the remote learning. And then, you know, I just uh, did a lot of beadwork and cleaned the house in between and um, got some stuff on. I, I opened an Etsy today, so that was good. And yeah, now she's at grandma's, but um, sometimes I do housekeeping and sometimes I study and yeah, feel like I don't really, right now it's hard to have a schedule for me, but I really hope that now that school has started that we really get into a good rhythm. Yeah, for sure. And although this is not the main part of the um, interview for sure. We're just still an introductory stuff. I am curious how you got into beading recently and what that's been like for you. Has, and has that, has it had a therapeutic element to it? I imagine. Can you talk a little bit about how you discovered that? Totally. Um, Well, in therapy, it's come up a lot that there's some creativity in me that I'm not expressing and um my therapist has been encouraging me for like the last two years to get creative and I've just been really resistant to it and um I had a friend who started making resin um artwork just learning off of YouTube and um she just really inspired me and I was wondering like what can I do I want to make something and sell it um I really enjoy kind of like the marketing side of everything and, you know, taking pretty pictures and stuff. So I was huckleberry picking and, um, I was going through a really rough time, like before having some court dates come up, um, in regards to like my daughter and our parenting plan and just a lot of anxiety. And as I was huckleberry picking and doing that repetitive motion, you know, I just thought of like, Oh, I could, I could do beating. I love you know, beaded earrings. Those are like the favorite ones that I have. Um, and, you know, I think maybe a month later, I decided to just go buy the materials. And yeah, it's been very, very therapeutic. Um, and it's just nice to be able to like listen to music or a podcast yeah. while I'm doing it. And the colors are, you know, yeah. fun to play with. So cool. That's beautiful. I'm I've had my eye on ever since I've seen you posting them. This is now becoming a total like infomercial for your <laughs> earrings, but they are gorgeous. Everyone will put the link in the, in the show notes. But, um, but I do think there is something to that, you know, recently for myself, I've discovered that um, <clears throat> I read, I read this book called the book of awakening um, by Mark Nepo. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's this really beautiful book that my mom and I share actually. And, there was a passage a couple months ago that said, you know, if you're living, basically, if you're living too much in your head, you need to find a way to live in your hands. And, um, and I, that really, that morning really resonated with me. And it's interesting that you say that your therapist was encouraging you, but you felt resistant. Can you say more about what you think that resistance was? Um, well, I don't particularly, like, she wanted me to, we talked about like what kinds of things I had done before creatively. And I, you know, tried the guitar and I've tried painting and although like, I think I'm okay with painting. Like I'm not, I don't really, really like what I paint. Like I don't yeah. really, like it. Yeah. and I'm just super judgmental. Um, 
with what I make, but I think with the beadwork, it's nice because like there's a pattern and it's just different. It's like a recipe almost. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like a perfectionist, Uh um, which I think (laughs) is another word for like, um, I don't know. I I don't hypercritical. Yeah. I'm just mental of myself. Yes. I relate. When one time I was in a therapy session and, and, and my therapist was saying something about like, Claire, I think you really have struggled with perfectionism for a long time. (laughs) I'll never forget this moment. And I go, Katie, I'm way too imperfect to be a perfectionist. And she's like, that's perfectionism. (laughs) Like, Like, I was like, oh, right. Okay. But you know, I think it's an interesting place to find yourself for sure. And I'm, I, that it makes sense to me that having sort of a pattern to follow or a structure is like, if you mess up, it's not like a flaw in you. It's like a, it's like you just go back to the drawing board of following the design or whatever, you know, so that with a painting, it's like the end result, you look at it and you're like, Oh, it's not quite what I had in mind, or there's not such a, a recipe, I guess is what I mean, or pattern. So Anyway, we could talk about earrings all day, but we'll move into (laughs) other things. Um, But I think that's a beautiful thing to be pursuing. And I think that being able to sort of process some of some of the things that you've been through that we'll we'll dive into now, like while doing that repetitive work and that and then that the the pleasure of bright colors or the pleasure of finding colors that align with how you feel and all of that, I really do believe in art therapy, like with all my soul. So I'm glad you found that and I'm glad that I'll be probably sporting some earrings soon. So (laughs) yay. Um, Well, let's talk a little bit more about your mother story. So I don't know where you'd like to begin, but I know that we, we talked about some things before we began recording that we feel like would be interesting or important to touch upon So if it's okay, if it's not too wide and vague, I'm just going to open it up to you and ask for you to share, you know, like a little bit about your journey of becoming a mother. Um, And that can, that can begin with your birth story, or we can just talk about a lot of times. I think the entry point is, I thought it would be this way. But then, whoa, it wasn't like that at all. It was very much this other way. So maybe we can start there and just how that, how that happens and how we begin to try to cope and either force really hard to make it into this ideal or deal with it not being that, you know, maybe we could start there. Um, well, yeah, that's interest, an interesting place you picked to start, uh, because for me, I think, um, there was like a a little bit of that. I think it will be this way, but it turned out this way, but there was also like this feeling of, uh, oh, this is not, this is not, um, this is not good. (laughs) Um, because I ended up uh, getting pregnant by my abuser. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I kind of went into it like, oh gosh, like, um, what's my daughter's life 
or what's my child? I didn't know what I was going to have, but what's my child's life going to be like and how am I um, going to be able to provide her a good, a good life. Yeah. Um, but, you know, once I, once I got over that, um, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I, I had babysat a lot <laughs> as a teenager mm-hmm. and I was always like, you know, the best babysitter and all the kids love me. And I thought that it would just be. That would just translate right on over. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you know, once I, I had my daughter, um, my partner was not very um, supportive. He worked. And so that was kind of like, well, I work. And so if the baby wakes up or, you know, needs anything in the middle of the night, like that's on you. Um, so I remember spending a lot of like wakeless nights, bouncing her on the yoga ball and she's crying and I'm crying and, you know, just wishing that I had, um, more support. Yeah. Yeah. I, those nights, man, those, those, when I think that in particular, just being awake when you feel like most of the world is getting to sleep <laughs> and, and crying while your baby cries, like what a, it's such a heart wrenching place to be, you know, in some ways I remember with my own babies, those moments and, and feeling like, well, we're in this together. But I'm also like, that's not healthy. <laughs> like I'm already, I'm already like, okay, well, at least we're sad together. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry that that was your experience. And I don't mean when I say sorry, I don't mean it in the, the pity sense, but more in the like, I feel you sense. Um, but yeah, the lack of support is really hard. And, and, and the lack of value that motherhood isn't work, right? That because someone works outside the home, like that is the work that counts. That's so, that's really tough. and common (laughs) because you know they they get to clock out (laughs) yeah for sure yep yeah Um, well and you know not not I know that that's not how every family dynamic functions but that's how mine function and so yeah and how yeah sorry you go ahead finish um, well, he would come home and then that was like his time to decompress mm-hmm. from work. So he would do his art or play the guitar and, you know, parenting, dealing with baby was still yeah. on me. So that was pretty, pretty rough, but. <laughs> That's really rough. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and how old were you when you had Maya? I was 22. Okay. Um. Okay. And so Maya comes into the world. That is the sort of the experience of her early, early days. And then can you walk us through the next part of the story? Like what, how did things evolve and sort of, I imagine, escalate from there? Yeah. um, You know, I had... So I struggled with alcohol um, as a teenager and I, you know, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I stopped drinking, um, stopped smoking and uh, so did her dad actually. 
And we kind of rode that out for a few months after having the baby. And then little by little, it was like, oh, well, we've been sober long enough. Like we can start reintroducing like a glass of wine here or a beer there. And um, that that worked for a little bit. And then, you know, he started drinking um, a lot more. And I, I don't blame his abuse on the alcohol, but it definitely accentuated it and brought it out more. Mm-hmm. And so I started to feel unsafe in my home and just confused and like, I could never really tell when he was drinking or not. And he would try to like force me to drink while I was still like nursing. And um, so eventually he got into some trouble um, with the law. And that's kind of when I um, decided that I would end the relationship um, because me and my daughter deserved safety. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I kind of drank a little bit here and there. I was still breastfeeding. Um, but I remember I started dating somebody from work and we would, um, you know, go out after work and I started, you know, working in the restaurant, you really are just surrounded by Mm -hmm. alcohol and a lot of people who tend to go out at night and drink. So I, stopped when I stopped breastfeeding, um, when she was three years old, um, that's when things kind of got more out of hand because I was able to leave her at grandma's and, um, go out for the night. And, um, yeah, that's kind of when my, I would say my alcoholic alcohol addiction just took off. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, It sounds like, it sounds to me like you were living with some pretty intense circumstances before that. So in terms of like self-medication and coping mechanisms, like, can you talk about, do you recall, you know, sort of recognizing like, uh uh-oh, this is starting to feel a little too good or can you tell, can you describe a little bit about like your identification process? of that and then sort of how you're how we all who have dealt with addiction sort of the like the game of like justification and like you know I think that drinking and early parenthood it's a really interesting sort of dilemma and and a culture where people are either like it seems to be rare to find the family that can really strike a good balance there you know things are so intense when you have a new baby and you're you're going through so much identity shifting and that it's just really difficult to sort of plus you're sleep deprived and all the things like it's difficult to sort out what's happening so can you do you recall like being aware that you were sort of slipping or how did that feel um I mean, even though it, it took off, I think it was still, gosh, like kind of gradual and like I could still rationalize it in my mind. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't, even though it, it was a lot while I was drinking, um, it wasn't like every night. And so that was kind of like the excuse, like, oh, well, like 
when I don't have my daughter, that's when I can really like let loose and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and yeah, the self-medication I was at the time, you know, still, that was kind of like the beginning of dealing with the court, the family court system. And there was just a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear, um, you know, with my daughter's safety, um, Mm -hmm. and my safety. Um, so my abuser is now incarcerated, but he was not incarcerated at that time. And, um, so, yeah, I would just kind of drink to be able to fall asleep because otherwise I would just stay up and want, you know, wonder and the thoughts would just keep going and going and going. Um, and also because I was doing, because I was a solo parent, Mm -hmm. it felt justified in that way too. Um, like I deserve this, I deserve a break. I deserve to, um, enjoy myself. You know, I got pregnant when I was 21, so I didn't really get to enjoy my my drinking year yeah and I I used to joke about it and say like well now I'm making it up for it (laughs) yeah 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 and how um can we touch upon just just in my own experience you know there's certain things that you you do before you get pregnant and have a baby And I think that it's really interesting. Like the one that always comes to mind for me is like camping. Like I was like, oh, a baby camping. Like it'll just be like camping, but with a baby. (laughs) I'll just have like a really little camping sidekick. But then like you get, you get there and you're like, oh shit, there's nowhere to like put the baby down and change the diaper. And like, how am I going to keep things clean and sanitary? And like, it's this whole other, like not really that fun of a thing. Like you can't really, I, that was my experience. And so why I bring that up is like, I, I use that as sort of like this little template or measuring stick, you know, to be like drinking and hangovers before I had kids were like one thing, but then I have had some experiences of like way over drinking since having children and like the feeling I'm a person who gets very hungover if I drink and like super sick and the feeling of like being hungover and having like this sweet little innocent pure baby is like such for me like such a heartbreaking like tension of two worlds or two different identities where I'm like in the past like you just like eat some chips go back to bed whatever like you know it'll be okay but like with a kiddo on board it not only logistically is it harder but it just feels so awful it did to me so I'm I'm curious like did you have experiences with that in particular yeah a lot of like guilt and shame yeah you know um yeah and um you know once she once she became a little older it it's, I think it started to like, not, I think I started to become a little more desensitized to that feeling. Like it just kind of had become more normal. Um, and I would, I would like pack, I would maybe like make her a sandwich that night Mm -hmm. before I drank. And I would say, here, you can have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for breakfast or like, yeah, you can have snacks for breakfast. Um, because I, 
I was just too hungover to. Yeah. Um, and now that I think back on, it's really hard to think back on, on, right. on that. Yeah. Sure. When you were saying that it definitely brought up some emotion. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's a really hard place to be. Um, and so how, like, can you, can we go a little further down this path and just talk about, um, when, when did you decide that you didn't want that to be the case anymore? And how did you seek help and support and, and recovery? And it, does that seem like a, a good next place to go yeah. with what we're talking about? Yeah. Um, I had, I had toyed with the idea of quitting and I had tried to quit. I had put a lot of different, like, I guess, safety plans around my drinking. Like, uh, I won't drink hard liquor or things like that. Um, I won't drink before this time Uh or I won't drink, uh, you know, and that was always hit or miss. (laughs) Um, but I, I remember a few days before I was just feeling so out of control and like, I remember asking my friend, like, you know, my, my daughter's father is, he, he's messed up and, you know, now I'm messed up and yeah. what's going to happen to my daughter. Um, and I just really remember like asking myself that seriously, like what is going on here? You know, if it's not fair to her, if her dad's incarcerated and then her mom's out and drinking. And a couple days after I, brought my daughter to her first, um, therapy session and the therapist wanted to talk to me for a little bit before. And we talked and in that, like, we started talking about alcohol and, you know, I think she could sense that it brought up emotion in me when she asked, or maybe that I was a little avoidant or something. Yeah. She handed me a pamphlet for AA uh-huh. And she said, there's a meeting tonight. It's an all woman's meeting. And I just kind of thought like, oh, interesting. Like I get out and the meeting starts. Um, it's an all woman's yeah. meeting. Like this kind of feels like it's meant to be. And so I called my mom crying and I said, mom, um, I'm going to go to a meeting. Can you watch Maya? And of course she said, yes. And um, I, yeah, this was, all, uh, three years ago in January. Mm-hmm. So not quite three years ago. Um, and I, I actually really enjoyed the meeting. I had been to AA before as a teenager, um, court ordered, but this was the first time that I had like gone willingly. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I just kept, kept going and yeah, I was still working in the restaurant, um, as a server and you know, working also behind the bar and I kept, you know, drinking even though I wanted to stop and I, I just couldn't do it in the restaurant setting. So I decided Mm -hmm. to quit my job. Um, went to another restaurant that didn't serve hard alcohol and that wasn't downtown, but that still didn't cut it. Yeah. Um, Especially because this one was even more stressful, like just really, really busy and no busters, you know, so I was serving and I had to bust my own tables and it was like middle of summer. It was just a crazy gig. So 
Um, I quit that and went. Sounds like hell. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're like, now I wish they did serve hard alcohol. No. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, my mom's, uh, my mom's a housekeeper and the woman she cleans for asked if I wanted to help. And I was like, uh, housekeeping, I don't know, but sure. I'll try it. And, um, it was good money. It was uh-huh. you know fairly easy and I wasn't around yeah. alcohol. So, um, yeah, eventually I quit the service industry uh-huh. and just focused on, on housekeeping. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, um, there it's the service industry is so hard because it's almost like if you are a sober person in that environment, you're like the reminder of, of everyone, you know, in my experience, like everyone's like, if you're sober, they're like, Oh no, that exists. And then you kind of become the one who, how do I say this? It's like, you're like the poster child for sobriety and no one likes that poster child. Um, or wants to hang out. So I'm, I commend you for making that decision because I'm sure it wasn't hard because serving is good money too. And it's a very, uh, like alluring place to be, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, and you know why I kind of started that? Cause I used to just kind of, um, I wanted to do more babysitting, but with my daughter, it was just hard to babysit. Yeah. To do nannying, you know, with a kiddo. And um, I just wanted time away from children. So being totally. around other adults in a restaurant, you know, listening to music, eating yummy food, like that was all really appealing to me. For sure. Yeah. When I was, you know, yeah. parenting. So, yeah. And do you still go to AA meetings? Um, I haven't gone in a few months. I, started a different program called smart recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine started one here in the flathead. Um, and so I've just been doing that one once a week and then they have it in person also once a week in Kalispell. So, yeah. Neat. And how is that? Can you say a little bit about how is smart recovery different from AA? Yeah. So it's not a 12 step program or a spiritual program. Um, it's certainly not a substitute for the 12 steps. Um, a lot of people, use it, um, you know, to complement their 12 step program, but it's really nice for those who, you know, the 12 step program maybe hasn't worked for, or, um, maybe the spirituality part of the, you know, AA isn't their thing. Um, it's just nice to have another option and it is evidence-based, um, a lot of cognitive behavioral. Yeah therapy tools are used. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's neat. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes to that too. I took a little note because I hadn't heard of that before. Um, but cool. And, um, and so, okay, a little bit back to little Maya. And so Maya is, she was three when you started to really um, face your addiction and and start working through that. How was your family? Like, I know that you're, you have your parents been pretty involved in her life from the get go. And how, yeah. how was that for them? Can you say a little bit about that? Um, yeah, you know, my mom lives just a 
couple blocks away from me. So that's really nice. Um, she, you know, when I had my daughter, she came to stay with me for a few days and cooked me soup and mm. helped me change diapers and helped me with breastfeeding. Um, and she's always just been really, really involved with, with Maya. Um, and yeah, I, I think she was like excited that Maya would start staying the night, you know, at her house when I was asking her, but then I know by the end she was like, okay, Sylvia, like you're not showing up on time, right. uh, you know, um, or you're coming back smelling like booze. Um, and so she was starting to get concerned, but I think my mother learned, you know, through when I was dating, um, when I was in that bad relationship, she kind of learned to just step back and let me make my own decisions. She's mm -hmm. always, I think she had a lot of people kind of try to tell her what to do in certain situations. And I think she realized the importance of like backing off and like letting me make my mistakes. Um, yeah, I think she was a little, um, maybe enabled me a little bit. Um, but I mean, everything kind of turned out the way it was supposed to. And she's, she was super happy that I was in recovery. And of course she's mm -hmm. super proud of me now because that was, you know, since I was a teenager, that was kind of like her biggest heartache was, you know, that for sure. Sweet little daughter was drinking. Yeah. 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 There was something I was going to ask further about that. Oh, just the, when, when you say the enabling piece, you know, I've had, I've had similar experiences with, with my mom and we're really close to, and she's always been really involved in my girls' life. And, and I think that it, what I, what I'm wanting to touch on is this idea that, um, that we, you know, deserve to go out and have a good time. And I think, <clears throat> I think that it's really interesting that like my, my mom too was like, Oh yeah, go out, have fun. Like all the things like go do your thing. And, and there was a part of me that wanted to like that piece of my identity that I wanted it back. Like I wanted that freedom back. I wanted to like have a taste of what it was like to just like, like you said, like let loose and just be. And I, and it's interesting that alcohol plays into that and that we all have been so conditioned to believe that in order, like that, that is the way to congratulate ourselves for hard work or, you know, and, and so I think that it's such a tricky trap and even for parents and grandparents to like, they think that it's a gift to, to like say, but really, I mean, what, what really I needed was not to go out and drink, but like to go to bed, like, <laughs> like go get some sleep and like take a bath and drink some water and get some of those like basic fundamental needs back online and get those needs met rather than like going out and further depleting myself. Um, and so I'm just relating to you on that and, and, and knowing that that's probably where your mom was coming from too. And that it's just a, such a tricky alcohol in particular, just such a tricky thing to navigate as totally. a new parent. And I think there's just this like big, you know, there's like groups on Facebook called like mommy needs wine or like mommy needs vodka. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> actually the, the names 
something like that. And, you know, I had joined those groups because they had these funny memes and it just kind of jokes about a really serious issue, actually. And, you know, now I look at those kind of like angrily and like, you know, so messed up. But before I just kind of laughed along and was like, yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah. Need a drink. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to, I'm going to start a group that says like, mommy needs water. Mommy needs sleep. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like that's why, you know, that's why that this culture has emerged because mothers are so under supported and, um, you know, there's this quote, um, that says like, you know, women are expected to, um, work as if they don't have children and raise children as if they don't work. And that's just kind of the culture that we live in right now. And, um, yeah, it's true. Under supported. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Yeah. It leaves us really vulnerable and it, and it leaves us all sort of grasping and gripping and, and searching for, um, ways to keep that, to perpetuate the cycle that is like this impossible cycle. You know, if you wake up every morning and you feel like you're, you just have this um, insurmountable task list, you know, it's really hard to live like that. And so it does, it does, you either have to find support or reevaluate like what you have to do, or you have to bring on, coping mechanisms in order to survive and get through and and it's and it's a really it's it's like a really subtle like something really subtle that you might introduce can become blown up and like take over so quickly because it is such a desperate sort of ask to to live you know I mean yeah so it's not surprising to me that moms find themselves facing addiction a lot because how else are you supposed to get through I mean there are ways but they're not obvious and they're not made available and it's just really difficult and I hope that like by the time our girls are thinking of becoming parents that this has improved but yeah who knows yeah yeah and then let's talk uh, okay so we talked about that. (laughs) Um, and I am curious a little, if you can fill us in a little bit more about the story of, um, you know, what happened in your relationship with Maya's father. And if we can talk about, you know, now that we've talked about how addiction kind of presented itself as a way to deal with circumstances. Can you, you speak a little bit more and share a little bit more about the story of what those circumstances looked like as things progressed? And are you comfortable sharing that piece of the story? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I started dating Maya's father when I was 18. And, um, you know, it, a lot of drinking. I I was drinking from 15. So I was already kind of in that scene. And, um, we, we got into some trouble. Like, um, I 
you know, if, if the police were called, I was the one who was underage drinking. So I would get like a minor in possession. And after a few of them, um, I ended up moving to Washington. The judge kind of like knew that I needed to get away from this guy. And my aunt kind of came to court with me and pleaded like, can you please um, let Sylvia like get a fresh start, go somewhere else, get away from this guy. And he said, yes, like, you know, we can tell you're a good person. You just got caught up with the wrong guy. So I ended up moving to California that didn't work out and then went to Washington and um, he was still kind of talking to me, even though he wasn't supposed to be. Um, and of course, like saying things like, I'm sorry, and I love you, and I'm changing, I'm, I'm working on myself, I'm reading all these books and doing all these things to better myself. And so I started kind of buying into that. And shortly after, he came to visit me in Washington, and then he ended up moving there with me. And he, um, there was one night where he just, abuse, you know, he beat me all over my body. Um, he, um, like kind of locked me, like held me hostage in a bathroom and, um, told me he was going to kill me and then kill himself. And, um, I ended up running out of the bathroom when he, he went into the kitchen to grab something, which I thought was some like a weapon, like a knife. And so I ran out of the bathroom and I called for help. And when the police finally came to the house where he was at, um, they had found him in the tub, um, trying to kill himself. And after that, I, you know, I, I definitely drank a lot after that. I was pretty traumatized. Um, I couldn't go to work because I had bruises all over my face and I didn't want to tell anybody what happened. Um, but I ended up moving back to Whitefish, told, had to tell my mom what happened, but she came and picked me up. Um, and I thought, you know, he's in jail now. He's probably going to be there for like a year or something. And finally I can like start healing from this relationship and be forced to not go back to him. Cause it was, it's kind of like another addiction. Right. right. And, um, he was incarcerated for 41 days, I believe. And then they let him out and he moved back to the Butthead Valley to Whitefish. And, um, he started talking to me again, like wanting to apologize using third parties to get a hold of me, even though he wasn't supposed to. And little by little, we kind of, you know, started talking. And shortly after that, we conceived Maya. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, alcohol, I I think alcohol also played a part in that because I wasn't kind of, you know, there's that fog that you're in while you're drinking. And Mm -hmm. maybe if I had been a little bit more clear headed, I could have seen more of like the danger, the, the true like risks and dangers of the situation. But yeah. 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 And so, how, how old were you? So how old were you when you moved to Washington and how old were you when you moved back? And I was 20, I believe. Okay. And then I turned 21 in Washington. Uh-huh. 
And then I was still 21 when I moved back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and still young, you know, I felt really young old, but that's, you're still pretty easily, at least I was pretty easily like manipulated. And, For sure. Yeah. 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 And I think it's so hard to, I mean, young and alcoholic, that combination. And if you've, I also was a very early underage drinker and you sort of, your brain creates this fantasy world, you know, where you haven't had a lot of lived experience to sort of compare and contrast like, Oh, this, I know that this isn't good or healthy or whatever, because I know what healthy feels like. Like you don't have that sort of way of differentiating what's happening. And then if you add alcohol on top of it, it's like everything seems to get sexier and more appealing and more sort of, it's almost like the danger element can add to the romance and, you know, and, and so have, has it been, um, I imagine that you've had to sort of cultivate compassion for that younger version of yourself. Have you, has that been an experience where you've had to say like, Oh, I understand why I made the decisions that I did and the choices. And, you know, has that been part of your journey? Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I've, I have moved, I can't say I don't feel any, like shame or embarrassment from time to time that always kind of yeah. pops up. But for the most part, I feel like I have moved past that and into um, an understanding for, you know, who I was back then and kind of all of the things that, you know, starting from childhood that right. led to that point in my life. And I, I, I really have a good understanding now of why, you know, why I was attracted to this person Mm -hmm. and, um, why I wanted to drink, you know, um, wanting to kind of, uh, numb a lot of, of pain, painful memories and, yeah. And painful realities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So was, were you someone who, um, let's talk about the role that therapy therapy has played in your life. Like, were you someone who I'm, and I'm interested in your journey with like, and when I say therapy, I mean counseling really is, is there are many things that are therapeutic that I'm sure you've sought modalities all over the place because it's clear you've done a lot of work. Um, But I'm, I'm curious to know when therapy entered your, entered into your life and how, like you mentioned that Maya also, you know, is helped by counselors or therapy. And can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's still a piece that a lot of people are resistant to, but they're, but where real healing can happen. So if you could share a little bit about the role therapies played in your journey, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, well, I first, um, when I went to therapy one time when I was a teenager, my mom, you know, I, we didn't have Medicaid or anything. So she had to pay out of pocket for it. So it was like, you're going like one time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that really didn't do anything. And then. What? Um, it didn't? No way. 
And uh, so I tried going a little bit later on in life. Um, This was while I was still drinking, um, but I wasn't honest about my drinking Mm -hmm. in therapy. And um, I also, you know, I didn't go very many times. And I, I think it was EMDR therapy, and I know it works for a lot of people. Um, but for me, I think in the in the phase that I was at, it just wasn't helpful, mm-hmm. and I kind of would leave feeling a little worse than I like, not really hopeful or anything when I was. Yeah. and I just stopped going because I didn't want to feel that way. Totally. Um, and then you know, I got sober, and I was still struggling with. Um, like panic attacks and, um, just, you know, I thought maybe I was kind of slipping back into depression and now I didn't have alcohol to cope with that. So I sought out a therapist and, um, she does what's called somatic therapy. And, um, you know, so we do a lot of like breathing and like feeling in the body. And, um, I, the first time I even talked to her on the phone, I absolutely thought that it was just going to be the right fit. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I started seeing her and telling her a little bit more of my story, I could tell that she was, you know, how some therapists, they're just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, you know, and they, they yes. it feels like whatever you say doesn't phase them. And you're like, are you a robot? Like, do you yeah. Um, and I get that they want to like remain calm and professional, but I absolutely loved that my therapist, I could tell that she felt for me and I just felt so validated by her. And, um, I know she cares about me just, you know, outside of therapy, just as a human being. And that really made a difference. So to anyone considering therapy, it's like you have to date them, you know, you have to totally. find one that works for you. Um, yeah. everyone's Which is a hard process because going in and sharing your story, like over and over and with someone who does have that approach, which I, that must work for some people, the whole like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it didn't work for me either. And I just, I always felt like you're so vulnerable, the things you're sharing and and when someone tries to remain neutral, it, it's really hard because you're like going into these really huge feelings. Um, but I'm so happy that you found someone who is a good fit for you. And is that, do you, does Maya see the same person or does no, she? She sees another person who does um, art therapy. Oh, cool. Yay. Art therapy is like my absolute dream job. I think it's just so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, isn't it right? Isn't art therapy just so beautiful? And we're just going to take a moment to like (laughs) realize Claire's dream. Um, As I, and for kids, especially like what a beautiful way in, you know, and so how long has Maya been? She's been going, um, I think a little, Maybe like two years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So first I started going and then I got her in, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she still can be a little resistant to it, but once she's there, she's resistant to everything these days. Yeah, totally. 
Um, eight eight is the new 14. I swear. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my daughter called me basic the other day. Oh no. Ouch. That like actually hurt my heart when you said that. (laughs) It's coming. It's coming for me. I know it is. It's like just around the corner. Um, but, (laughs) oh, um, okay. And, and so now that we've touched upon that and I'm thinking about the other piece that I'm really curious about as far as, uh, what has informed your work as, are you still doing doula work? So I kind of was going to push myself to start taking clients. Um, There's a lot of like self-doubt, you know, and Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. um, which now I call um, internalized oppression. Um, But right. Internalized oppression. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, so COVID happened and Mm -hmm the hospital stopped allowing doulas in the hospital. Um, Now the Whitefish Hospital is allowing doulas. Kalispell still is not, Mm -hmm. unless that's your only support person. Um, But I actually don't know what my living situation is going to look like um, in the near future. There's a potential for a move. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of putting a pause on taking any clients and focusing on my new doula training, which is a full spectrum doula training. So not only supporting parents through birth, but also, um, adoption, abortion, and how beautiful anything to do with, with reproduction. Cool. Are you taking that? Is that an online training that you're doing? And yeah, it's like? through um, birthing advocacy doula trainings mm-hmm. uh, taught by Sabia Wade, um, aka the Black Doula, and also um, Jenna Brown. Cool, that's also- amazing. Yeah, I think that I may have taken a training from Jenna, um, and I really loved it. Oh, um, awesome! Yeah, just an online like a Zoom call type thing. But I was just astounded at her vast brain of knowledge her key they they they. thank you yeah yeah Yeah. amazing I was like wow talk about like a walking encyclopedia of information totally yeah Yeah. they're actually my mentor and we took a pause kind of when I kind of had a three months of just craziness this mm-hmm. year. And so we took a pause from mentorship, but we're back on. So I'm excited to work with Jenna again and get back into my doula stuff. But for a moment, it was just kind of like too much mental health mm-hmm. <laughs> and my kiddo. Yeah. First, so I hear that. I hear that a lot. Um, well, yeah. How beautiful. What a beautiful thing to take on. And when you made the decision to pursue doula work, um, can you say a little bit about that? Like when did you decide and what kind of inspired you and motivated you and, and how, how long were you practicing before COVID hit? What has the doula journey looked like so far for you? 
So I started my training in 2014. Um, and I, I was still, or I was kind of getting into drinking a little bit at that time. Um, but then once, you know, Maya weaned, I kind of, that just kind of went on the back burner and I just, you know, I was like, whatever, I, I'll be a server my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, cause when you are an alcoholic, you, everything has to fit around your drinking. Yeah. When you're not, you can fit your drinking into your life, but yeah, when, when totally. alcohol is the most important thing, everything has to, to fit around that. So that's addiction. Right? I mean, that's any, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I picked it back up in 2018. Um, you know, once I was sober and mm-hmm. one of my friends was pregnant and I said, can I, mm-hmm. you know, do you want to doula? I was supposed to doula her second baby and flaked out. And I was like, I'm sober now and I'm, I, I want to do this. And, um, she said, okay, yeah, we'd love to have you. And, um, when I, you know, after attending that birth, I walked out and I, I remember telling my therapist, like my heart was singing. Oh, cool. I just felt like that was what I was supposed to do. And, um, so I just continued on my training mm-hmm. and, uh, supported another, uh, friend through a birth. And then, uh, that was last November mm-hmm. and then shortly after COVID happened. So that's been the extent of my God, darn it. journey. I, yeah. you know, the first time it was like me getting in my own way and now it's something else getting in the way, but kind of like if it's meant to be, it's going to yeah. happen. And I'm just taking advantage of this time that I'm, you know, kind of resting, uh, right taking a break and, um, just, yeah. Yeah. Did you have a doula at your birth? I did. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You asked about what inspired. Oh no, that's okay. (laughs) I did have a doula. She, um, was like a kind of a high school acquaintance and she was trying to get births for her certification Mm -hmm. and reached out to me and I said, sure. And, um, yeah, she was there supporting me and, you know, massaging me. And, um, I thought I didn't really even understand what a doula was. Yeah. Um, she was still early on in her training. So I don't think she did as much as like most doulas do. Like we didn't really meet prenatally or postpartum. Um, she was just kind of there for the birth, but yeah, once I started taking the training and actually seeing like all that a doula does, like, yeah, it, um, it just seemed like what I, what I needed, you know, I, I read some books, but they weren't (laughs) the right books. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then postpartum, like I didn't have a plan and I didn't really think I needed that much support. My mom said, I'm going to be there for a few days. And I thought that that would be enough. Yeah. And it really, it really wasn't. No. So now that I have been through, you know, early parenting and have a better idea of what really is needed, I'm excited to, you know, be able to provide that. To other yeah. People. Yeah. It feels like one of the only like actual 
careers that really supports mothers and, and families like with, you know, um, that's, that's, I think, I hope, I hope that just do the whole doula movement continues to grow. And particularly in Montana, like in Helena, we only have one doula, like, and, and she's great. And, but it's, it's kind of astounding to me that we're still that far behind that we just, there just isn't even like, people are like, what even is a doula, you know? And, and so, um, it's just such a beautiful thing for families to have that support and that practical relief around that time so that they can really focus on just loving their babe, you know, without all the added stress. I remember when I had my first baby, like I didn't want anyone to be around me at all. (laughs) And then when I had Kendall, my second, I was like, mom, can you please come for like three weeks? You know, that would be great. Uh Oh, I lost your sound. Oh no. Oh no. Good. There it is. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, it is, it is such a time of need for families. So it's beautiful to be able to show up in that way. And I think around, like you mentioned other circumstances as well, that people are often just left completely on their own to try to navigate and for someone to be there. I'm just so glad that exists. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I do hope it picks up here in in the valley too. We have, I think, a couple of doulas who've been at it for like years. Um, But yeah, I think there's just still a lot of misinformation and just a lack of like understanding of what a doula does. And, um, but I'm hoping that changes, you know, a lot of people moved here this year from places where... Totally, where (laughs) that is a thing. I know. I'm I'm like hoping that there's, there's a lot of like, I think all of us Montanans feel a lot of like, oh, people are coming. But then I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe they'll bring with them this thing that we really need. And, you know, I, that, that gets exciting to me too. Like maybe our, some of our community norms will be challenged because there's, there are new communities being formed. So that can be a good thing, I think. Um, yeah. 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 Um, well, I think that I I just want to ask like a couple of final things to sort of wrap things up if that's okay. So in my own personal experience and journey, you know, which I know that we're not the same person, but it sounds like we've had some similar experiences growing up and even I I think I don't think I've mentioned on while we're recording that I'm from Kalispell, but that's just a brief 20 minutes away from where Sylvia, so we were probably like drinking as 15 year olds on the same dirt roads and stuff (laughs) like that. But I think that, um, you know, we, we were talking a little bit before again, recording about the word, the word resilience and what that means. And when I think about um, what, you have experienced um, and how that has shaped and informed you, you know, I'm, I'd really love to hear you talk about how you feel like the particular, maybe um, not so perfect choices you made early on and the lessons that those have brought. How do you just, do you sometimes feel like 
they ultimately make you a better mother and a better human and that your capacity has grown because of these challenges you've faced. Can you talk a little bit about what that feels like as you're raising Maya and and just, um, you know, can you talk a little bit about sort of that distillation process of like how that makes you a better mom or helps you to show up in ways that you think that people who maybe haven't had so many challenges aren't able to do? It's a kind of a big question. Thinking about that, like lately, just with the pandemic and everything going on, um, how like resourceful I can be. (laughs) And um, whereas maybe other people are like freaking out because you know, the world, the rug has been pulled out from beneath them. For me, sometimes it just feels like just another, like, chaos. I'm used to this. Um, But as for parenting, you know, that one's a hard one because oftentimes I don't feel like a good enough parent. Um, You know, um, I still... I still have a hard time showing up in, in the way that I want. Um, you know, we talked to, I don't know if I mentioned this while we were recording, but we talked about, um, medication and I'm currently trying out an antidepressant, anti-anxiety just because that has been impacting the way that I can show up for my daughter. And, you know, I was pretty resistant to that, just like I was resistant to therapy. Um, but it's just, you know, it's a really difficult time right now. And there's so much that we're dealing with that I would rather, you know, whatever effects it has on my body, like, that's fine. Um, I want to be able to, to show up uh, for my daughter. But, right. Um, yeah, you know, I get, I think sometimes... I stress out too much about how she will, how she perceives things. Sometimes I apply the lens, my own lens onto her. And I think like she must be suffering more than she is because I suffered a lot as a kid. And, you know, she's just a completely different person. And I like to think that because of everything that I have been through that I'll be able to show up for her when she's, um, you know, struggling with similar things that I've struggled with. And, um, you know, one thing that that's different in like my growing up versus hers is like, I didn't really have a lot of validation or support like with therapy and stuff like that. And so for her, I need to remember, like, even if things get difficult, like she's still, she has like a mom who can validate her feelings and she also has the support. And so, um, things might be rough, but they're not the same. And hopefully some of the things that happen in my life, like don't get repeated, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Has she picked up some coping mechanisms from like, or some coping strategies, I should say, from her therapy that you see her using that feel reassuring to you? 
Um, you know, she kind of was using like the breathing and like little like mindfulness things at the beginning. But I think right now she's at that stage where like, you're listening to your meditation again, mom, you know, like (laughs) how basic. Um, yeah, (laughs) so basic. And, um, but one of the things I think that I really, one of the things that she just does, I think that is really amazing is she just knows how to express herself. Like she is very articulate in the way that she expresses her feelings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one day we were, um, this may have come from play therapy. I don't know, but we were, she had clay on the table and she said, mom, when I'm, when you're angry at me and when you're yelling at me and she grabbed the clay and she said, I feel like you're doing this to me. Like you're pulling me apart. And I just so felt that because, um, like what a great visual, you know, of how she's feeling internally. And then I thought about it for a little bit and we talked and then I said, you know, sometimes when you're like pushing my buttons, I feel like, and then I grabbed like my finger and I was poking in the clay and oh my gosh, that's that so great. Yeah. Yeah. What a, just to be able to visualize and name things like that. Like what an amazing skill. That's beautiful. Yeah. So we it. have a lot of struggles and I still, yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she knows how to, she knows she can come to me and she knows how to like express yeah. how she's feeling, which, yeah. um, I just That's kind of big. learning. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. think she knows how to do that. Yeah. Okay. And then <clears throat> my other final thing is, you know, what, like, if we have listeners out there who are struggling with things that you've struggled with, with addiction or with, um, you know, abusive relationships or, um, you know, just hard circumstances in general, I guess, is there anything that you would want to say directly and speak directly to them um, or share to anyone who may be listening that just may feel really stuck? Yes. Um, What comes to mind is a quote. um, I don't know where I heard it, but, um, you know, abuse thrives in silence. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be applied to addiction as well. Um, You know, if you're hiding it from other people, it's probably not healthy, whether it's a relationship or a substance or something that you're doing, a habit. Um, And so there's so much shame and I, I completely get it. I felt it. And I, it was very, very hard to talk about because especially as a mother um, to a child, it's scary to come out and say you have a problem because mothers are supposed to be perfect, don't you know? And we're supposed to hold down the fort. (laughs) um, But I think sharing it with, you know, even one other person that you trust, um, you don't have to tell the whole world, but, you know, finding somebody that you trust, even if it's a counselor, if you're in therapy, (laughs) don't lie. Don't lie. Yeah. 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 Um, You'd you'd be surprised to find out that 
it's way more common than you, than you think. And now that I've been open about it, um, right. a lot of people come to me and share their experiences too. People that I would have never guessed would ever be in an abusive relationship or have a problem with alcohol. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things. Our, our stories give permission for others to open up theirs, right? Um, well, wonderful. Thank you so, so much. I feel like, um, I just feel grateful that, that you're willing to come on and, and bear your soul, you know, in order for other people to gain a deeper understanding or connect to maybe stories that they, like you said, that they're holding in silence because of shame. And when you say that addiction is like abuse, it really is self abuse, right? Like it's, and if abuse thrives in silence, then self abuse via addiction does too. Um, So I'm just really grateful that you came on today and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share my story. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you do like what we're doing on Mother Love, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer.